for just a moment. Stretch him legs. Don't want you to... Are you feeling tired or rested today? If you're feeling rested, raise your hand. If you're feeling tired, raise your hands. That's where I would be today. I'll tell you, I don't know what's the weather. Now you can sit. Just want to make sure that... So continue to... Think about the Pray For Me campaign, and uh, if the Lord moves you, join that tonight, and it's a wonderful opportunity for our kids, and it doesn't take a lot of effort to come alongside a teenager, a youth, and, and just be praying for them and for them to know that they're being prayed for and probably will build a wonderful relationship. Today we're part three in our sermon series uh, that uh, I hope has helped you. The title is Improving Your Marriage Without Saying a Word. And we know that that there's a time to talk, then there's a time not to talk. And we've sort of laughed and hopefully had fun with the idea that, you know, sometimes we know talking makes things worse. But there's always a time to talk. And yet, the Scripture has told us from First Peter chapter 3, there is power in our actions opposed to our talking. And in First Peter 3, 1, the basis of this whole series is the idea that the power of a wife that lives out her faith in the Lord, not using words, has the potential to win over her husband. Look at that. More deeply, as you uh, reflect through the week, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. I mean, it's right there in Scripture, without words, by the behavior of our life. And I've stressed that these are uh, general rules that you and I are talking about, but the text itself isn't general in any way. The text comes from God and is truth for all relationships, friends, grandchildren, work relationships, but it's true of marital relationships too. And so this morning in part three, we're going to look at three or four ideas that take place in the marriage covenant, but take place... In relationship as well. You know, one of the most difficult things about speaking about marriage is, if you're single, people feel left out. But you don't have to be left out. Because it's for you. It's also difficult because some people, their marriage has failed. And they have experienced Divorce and the pain of a divorce. And they might feel not left out, but judged. And then preaching on marriage is difficult because you in no way have it all together. And you've made mistakes. And so of 30 Three, four years of marriage, I'm just trying to put it all together the way the Lord has shown me along with premarital and marital counseling and the text so that it might help you. Because we know that our marriages in this country 
are failing. And I see so often people come in and talk in premarital counseling and they're so excited. And then you do the marital counseling of couples that probably were just as excited when they first got married. And now 30 years later, 40 years later, they're not smiling anymore. One of the best ways I've learned to see if a couple is in good relationship is to look at their photo album. The, the newer the pictures, the better. But to look at their photo albums, to look at their family life, because it is so clear when the husband sits on one end and the wife at the other. In picture after picture, the husband and wife never sit together. So this morning, uh, I just want you to really hear what God has to say. Because He can make your marriage better. Better than it's ever been. But it's so easy to tune out for all the reasons that I've just listed. We sang the song. And it's a beautiful song. And it's a song of truth. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And we ask if you don't feel like you are living a life of fear, we... Praise God. But the reality is, for most Christians, they live with fear. We do live with fear in relationship. There's the goal not to have any fear. But fear does make its way into our relationships. And fear according to the scriptures, always makes us act in a way that doesn't honor God, makes us say things that doesn't honor God. And if there's no fear at all in your marriage, you are blessed. And it's only because of God. And I hope you feel like I've been equally truthful from the Scripture for the wife and the husband. Because the bottom line for all of us to have a better relationship in our marriage is based on Ephesians 5.21 out of reverence for Christ. Submit yourselves to one another. If you do not love Christ that much to align yourself under Christ and wives under your husband willingly, then your marriage is never going to be what God wants it to be. It's just not going to happen. Because God is the creator of marriage. God created the participants in marriage. He created the parameters of marriage. It's all God's and it 
has to be done his way. And if it's not, it will not be blessed. And the truth is, it's all a process. It's, it's all a pro- If you've been married more than 30 years, could you raise your hand so that I'm just not around? Husbands and wives, isn't it true? And give me a little bit of an amen so you can help me out here. Isn't it true that growing to love each other in a relationship is a process and takes time? Amen. Some of the things we learn may be almost 35 years of marriage and you start to get it. And you're just thanking the Lord that he stayed, she stayed. So here we go. Look at this verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, What does that mean? The mercies of God. Well, what it does mean, at least in part, is what is going to be asked of us following this statement cannot be accomplished without the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God... To do this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You cannot present your body as a living sacrifice unless God is involved in it. By His mercies, you might try to do it yourself. It might look okay for a while, but it's hollow. It's empty. And finally, it just breaks. We need the mercies of God to be able to present our bodies in relationship to God and others and our spouses if we're going to use the body as a living sacrifice. But that's holy and it's acceptable to God. And that's our spiritual act of worship. Worship involves singing and worship involves praying. But the general picture of worship is our lives being lived out in sacrifice by the help of God. We can't do it by ourselves. And then he says, do not be informed to this world. Now we know that this world affects everybody. And that this world is a pattern that is anti-God. It's just right there in the text. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Well, there's nothing you can do about that without the help of God in your life. Amen? Is that not true? It is absolutely true. If you don't have the mercies of God in your life, you will conform to the world. It's just the way it is. You'll conform to the way the world says relationship is. You'll conform to the way that the world says marriages should be and shouldn't be. The world says marriage can be for anybody other than a man or woman. That's not what God says. God says marriage is between a man and a woman. And God says anything outside of that is depraved. That's what God says. 
But the world says the opposite. And the only way not to conform to the pattern of the world is by the mercies and help from God. That you reach out to God, the God that you have faith in, and you listen to His Word because you know that's where you'll be blessed. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, what does that mean? If I, if I concentrate hard enough, if I read enough, my mind will be changed. I'll, I'll get a soft and tender heart. You need the mercies of God to give you a new heart. You need the mercies of God to give you a transformation in your thinking. You can't do it without God. And then, with God in the picture, helping you along your way, your faith begins to test all these things that God is asking you to do. That by testing, you may what? Discern what the will of God is. And then you learn that it's a good will, that it's an acceptable will, and that it's a perfect will. But you can't do any of these things without God. So part three, in our improving marriage without saying a word is, for a marriage to be successful, beautiful, complete, takes divine intervention. Takes divine intervention. You need God's help. You can't give something that you don't have to give in the relationship. And that's where God comes in. He gives us what we need by His mercies. This is a text not only about our genuine, sincere, authentic worship of God and putting ourselves in alignment willingly under in submission to Him. It's a text about relationship. We need to change our default modes. We all have a default mode. At least the psychologists and psychiatrists of the world tell us this. And I want to just sort of develop this in general. Because I'm sure we can find faults in this. But in general. I was reading an article written back in 2014 on focus on the family. And the idea was basically men and women are different. That's not new, right? And one of the differences is in the brain, that the brains of a male and female in general are wired differently. A woman, she thinks things through externally. She talks. Men in general think things through internally. They have to digest and reflect. They don't talk. 
And it's easy to understand when you bring those two ideas together in a less than happy moment where one needs to talk and the other needs not to talk, there's going to be some fireworks. Now, that's just in general. It may be the opposite of the way. But in general, that seems to be what most psychologists, even Christian psychologists, James Dobson, focus on the family. There's a difference. The way our brains are wired. They also go on to elaborate that that a, a woman's most important thing she needs from her husband and what she doubts most is am I lovable now for us guys not what we're thinking and uh, yeah it's general am I lovable but you know what it is for a man's am I adequate it's not am I lovable am I adequate And the actions of each other, because often the way that our brains are wired, we will default. Where a woman needs love, Ephesians chapter 5, when she's not feeling loved by her husband, there is a distance that is created in her mind, and with that distance comes fear, and with that fear comes verbalization or talking. For the husband or the man, Ephesians 5, he needs respect. If he doesn't get respect, he feels shame. If he feels shame, he gets defensive. And then he withdraws. So men and women are different. And many other ways besides just this one. But this is the default mode Whenever there's a problem in general for women and men. And we need to change that. But how? Knowing what your husband or your wife is going through is is one answer on how to approach it. But I come back and stress to you again. How do we change it? You can't. And until we own that, you can't change it. You need divine intervention. You need God's help. And you begin to see where this takes us. It takes us back to where we wrapped up last week in 1 Peter 3 where Peter is highlighting Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Peter says of Abraham to the women of the church, if you want to be like Sarah, and I'm holding her up as the example that she had a spirit that was quiet and gentle. And be like her. Because that's so beautiful in God's sight. 
And since it's beautiful in God's sight, it's what we would all want to be a part of. Wives, yes, in the text, but husbands as well. And then it says, you can be like Sarah unless you give way to fear. That's what the text literally says to the wife. Unless you give way to fear, you can be like Sarah. You give way to fear. It's literally fear of fears. Something comes, just fear of fears. And I said last week, in general, just a Afraid of a lot of different things that can go on in life. But in the specific text, fear of what your husband might do. But the text of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 9, is all about giving it to God in trust. God is your advocate. He is the one that helps you. You can't force it. You can't manipulate it. And if you try to go that route, you're going to be so disappointed. So divine intervention and God's help. And someone says, okay, okay, let's let's get to the meat of improving my marriage without saying a word. This is it. This is the meat. Divine intervention. Seeking, relying, depending completely on God's help. Because you know that you can't, without His mercies, function the way that He wants you to function. And when you try to do it your way, the way of the world, it fails again and again and again. And there it is. Divine intervention is what is needed. So this fear and not giving in to fear, this is what 1 John 4 and following says. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You see, whenever you as a wife or you as a husband or you as in relationship to other people are able to finally, as best as you can in the process, mature enough where it's, I trust God. And no matter what I see, and although I don't know how he'll work it out, I'm aligning myself in submission under my God, and I'm going to do it willingly, and I'm going to ask for his mercy in my life to change me in what he wants me to be, instead of me praying all the time that he fixes and changes my spouse, God fix me. That perfect love that God has, that you and I have fellowship in with the Lord, if we're His, 
That drives out all the fear that I'm not going to get what I want or I'm not going to get to say what I want or I'm going to get mistreated or he didn't do this or she didn't do that or this is just a big mistake. It's never going to work. I can't forgive this. I can't forgive that. You've got it. You can't do any of those things because you need God's help and God's divine intervention and you need his love truly birthed in your heart. There it is, because fear has to do with punishment, especially for unbelievers. Fear has to do with punishment for not following God's word as Christians. We should fear. We are told, do what is right. Listen to the Lord. Battle to live the way that he's called us to live, but... We need the Lord. So perfect love drives out the fear. It drives out the shame. And that's the beginning process of making your marriage better. You don't have to verbalize. You don't have to say a thing here. And there it is. For all relationships, Lord God in heaven, if we could just get close to this, Wouldn't the church be a different place? Wouldn't our marriages be so different? Love, the perfect love that drives out fear. And there's no verbal, it's it's action. Love is patient. Patient with your spouse. Love is kind. Be kind to your spouse. It does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor. Others, let alone our spouses, love is not self-seeking. When the reality is there's so much about us that is self-seeking. I want, I didn't get. Love is not easily angered. Remember the statement that I hate? Happy wife, happy life. Because that's true and it's false. I want my wife, Danielle, to be happy. Because it's happy wife. You know, it's happy life. But that statement said sort of in jest like, if mama's not happy, ain't nobody going to be happy. So we got to do whatever we have to do to keep mama happy. It's almost like I got to baby somebody. And the truth could... Truth could be said for men, too. If, if Papa's not happy or Daddy's not happy, then nobody's happy. Because some men are like that, too. But for the most part, we don't care if Daddy's happy, right? We laugh. But the idea that we've got to massage and, and baby for someone to be happy in our relationship to be good... You've got to be treated a certain way, Steve. Amber, if you don't treat him a certain way, you know, he's not going to be happy. Boo-hoo. Steve's call is to, because of the mercies of God, give everything he can to Amber. Because he's experienced the love of God that's so perfect and complete. And it doesn't matter what she does or he does. 
it's not going to change the way that he acts. But that's not the way it is because most of us have that fear. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I wish that was true. But it is true for the one that's aligned himself under the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Love keeps no record of wrongs. People say they forgive you all the time. They don't mean it. You don't perform right. They're going to get you. Should it surprise any of us in our relationships, especially in our husbands and wives, that we, we get it wrong? That we're insensitive? That we're jerks? Sometimes we're a little bit creepo? I mean, you know, it's, it's the truth. Insensitive. Should it surprise us? We're sinners saved by grace who need the mercies of God every day. At our Celebrating Love and Marriage, and it was, this was all in fun, but I've got to share this with Tom and Deb was there. We were sitting over at the table. And here comes Tom's, I don't know how old you were, 19 or 20 when you were getting married. And I looked over at Tom and Deb and I said, he looks like a young Robert Redford. And Deb with her head and eyes. It was the most funny thing I'd seen in a long time. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And yeah, because guys often will withdraw and won't talk things out, then they let it go. And where a woman gets frustrated because she needs to talk it out, we keep saying, why are we bringing up something that happened 30, 40 years ago? Why can't we get past this? I thought we forgave each other of this or that. Why are we still talking about it? And most of the time, it's because the man won't talk it through. He won't deal with it. And she needs to deal with it. I've learned that. And I'm still learning it myself. I'm just so thankful Danielle's been patient with me all of these years. Relationships are the same for all of us. I don't care who you are. Most argue and most fight and most get frustrated and most. But it doesn't have to be that way. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And there's things that we've got to let go of. Love doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. Love is always protective. Love always trusts. Love always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So we just got to start loving right. Not loving like the world says you can love, but love the way God says we are to love. To love like He loves. Thank God that our God doesn't keep records of wrongs. How would you like it every time in your life, year after year, even though you might be in a relationship with God, that every time you prayed, He reminded you, well, you were this and you were that. You don't want that. That don't help you. It don't build you up. So, uh, 
I want to show you this 28-second video. I was going to show you the three-minute video part, but my stomach won't take it because I'm just not nuts about this actor, but I like what he says. So uh, we'll bring the lights down and, and show you this video. Everybody probably remembers Jerry Maguire. You remember watching that movie, Raise Your Hands? Yeah. Oh, that we've all watched that. You complete me. You know, there's a rule of thumb. If it's coming out of Hollywood, don't believe it. There you go. Not always, but a rule of thumb. If it's coming out of Hollywood, don't believe it. Because we romanticize everything. And we say to each other, I've heard it when people are doing their work. You complete me. And inside it's like, oh. I remember the Valley Girl day, you know, gag me with a spoon. That's what I, you know, but I know what they're trying to say. But it's like, oh, Lord, we're so far off. You complete me. No, you don't. Do you know what happens when you marry a couple? One's incomplete and the other's incomplete and you get them together and you marry them, you've got a complete mess. That's what you've got. You don't complete your spouse and your spouse doesn't complete you. It's not biblical. What is biblical? Boom. Next slide, please. I guess I'm dead here. Next slide, there we go. Genesis 2, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Do you realize that in your marriage, the best that you can do for your spouse is to help them? Just help them. Because you don't complete them. They're complete in the Lord. They're complete by their creator who made them male and female. Oh, there's a beauty to marriage where God took Adam the one and made two, Adam and Eve, and then brought Eve back to Adam and took the two and made one. And and there's the beauty of something that takes place in the covenant of marriage. But you are complete in who you are As God has created you. In your marriage. You can only help each other. So help each other. This word is literally help made. It's used of God. That God is our helper. It in no way means someone that's inferior. It means someone that's a helper like God is your helper. For this cause, now this is the American Standard Version, it's very literal. 
shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Well, we've talked already in the series about leave or forsake. Your spouse comes first in your life before all others. Your spouse comes before mom. Your spouse comes before dad. And and we've all failed maybe in that in different relationships. Brothers and sisters so close that husband and wife really weren't first in each other's lives. But it, but this is the way God wants it. Your spouse is and should be first in your life. And you've got to be very careful with it, not to abuse it. But your spouse should be must be first in your life if it's going to be the marriage that God has created. And it's nice to look around and and see some men rubbing their wife's shoulders. Now, everything in moderation. Your spouse... comes before anyone else. And moms and dad, if you're getting in the way of that, you need to stop it. And a husband and wife, if you see that's happening, you need to have a discussion and stop it. Your spouse comes first. And it can be a balancing act, but it needs to fall always on the wife. And a conversation may have to take place. Your spouse comes before those sweet little children. And I want to tell you why. I'm probably one of those helicopter dads. Love my kids, love being involved in their life, and my wife's right there with me. We love Ashley and Jabez. When Ashley got married, and I walked her down that aisle, it may have looked all pretty on the outside, but inside me there was a battle going on. And I know her mother had to feel the same way. Oh, yeah, sure, we were glad that she was moving on and we were getting our house back because, you know, teenagers can be tough, can't they? We, we, we wanted her to be happy. We're walking down that aisle, music playing. And, you know, it's who gives Ashley to be married to Jonathan. And I thought, how can we, how, can we just give her a blessing on it? We don't have to really give her away. We give our blessing. No, that... But there's a conflict because all your life, this has been the love of your life. You've come first in your daughter's life. And the same is true for sons. Should be. But at that moment, you are giving your daughter away. And you are no longer the most important thing in her life. Her husband is. Or the wife is. That's the way God created it. And why else should your spouse come before your children? 
Because as soon as they find something better, they're out the door. And there you are. With the person you don't even know anymore. Because you were so wrapped up in your kids that you forgot to be a husband or a wife to your spouse. The spouse is going to be there. Kids aren't going to be there. They're going to go on with life. They're going to love you, but they're going to go on with their life. It took me a while to get here. You know, I'd say, oh, there's just different ways of loving. No. I've messed up a lot in these arenas that I'm talking about, but... My wife, Danielle, comes first. She comes first in my life, in this world. And I know that I come first in her life. This word cleave that I've got emboldened, I want you to know what that literally means. It means to be glued. Have you ever glued two boards together? They say that that joint is stronger than the actual wood joint itself. Glued. I've seen boards ripped apart that's been glued and they rip each other apart. A husband or a wife, they forsake their mother and father and they unite, they come together, they cleave to one another. They're glued together and to get them apart is to rip them apart. Are you glued to your spouse? Sometimes I'll put on a show and I'm acting like I'm leading when inside I don't know exactly what's going on and how I do it. But I tell you what, wherever that woman heads that's standing out there, that's the direction I'm going to. Because I'm glued to her. And she's glued to me. And then when you light a unity candle, that's what you're saying. We're stuck. Too many people think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Everybody thinks that at one time or another, this would have been better, that would have been better, he would have been better, she would have been better. But I want to tell you what, statistics show that anybody that steps outside of the marital covenant to pursue greener grasses on the other side of the fence... 80%, four-fifths of those marriages fail. Four-fifths. So why not just stay and fix your marriage? Because the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. I got a note handed to me last week after part two of this series. And one of the questions were, were you going to address domestic violence? You know, that's really not what this series is about. But no woman, and even a man for that fact, 
should ever be physically abused. And if you're being physically abused, you need to seek help. And there are organizations that can help you. You should never be sexually abused. There are organizations that we can connect you with if you're undergoing those kinds of abuses. But cleave to your spouse. The pasture is not greener on the other side of the fence. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Now, this is the general idea of the the power of two people and how they help each other. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Cleave to your spouse. And I close with this this morning. There are no enduring relationships, any kind of relationships, without forgiveness. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness in you. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all brawling. Get rid of all slander, along with every form of malice. I mean, Paul just covers every different way that we could be mean to each other. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, and then he hits the apostrophe just as Christ forgave you. You see, at the cross, where we align ourselves under the lordship of Jesus, it all stops. At the cross where we submit and willingly align ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all of it stops. It may be a process, but it stops at some point. The anger, the hateful words, the arguing, the fighting, the bitterness, the anger, the rage, the brawling, it stops in all of our relationships because we have aligned ourselves under our Lord and our King, and we're trusting Him to work everything out for our good. But we will trust, 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 just like Sarah trusts. We won't give in to fear. We'll love like He called us to love because we are like Jesus in the world. And He laid down His life for us on the cross. All of it should stop at the cross. Now, you're going to leave here at different times, and you're going to argue, and you're going to fight. And you might even say some hateful things, but it should become less with time. And so the next time you fight and you argue, I want you to remember Ephesians 4, right there, verse 32, Christ forgave you. Why are you keeping records of wrongs? Why are you still fighting? 
I bet if I gave you a piece of paper and said, fill out all the wrongs that you've done, you would be writing wrongs down until Christmas. And I'd be sitting there right with you saying, can I borrow your pencil sharpener? Do you see that ultimately everything in relationship comes down to aligning ourselves willingly under Jesus Christ out of our reverence for Him? You want to make your marriage better without saying a word? That's what you do. And it cannot and it will not be accomplished without the divine intervention of God because we need God's help in this matter. And may God bless His Word and these words that we've seen in Scripture. And may your marriage go from bad to good and from good to better. And I've went on to 12.05. But I told Matthew and the other staff, I'm not going to stop for no 20 minutes or 30 minutes until I get said what I feel like needs to be said. Because your marriage is worth it. And the marriage you may have one day is worth it. And the relationships that you're struggling in, it's worth it. So may God bless your marriage. And may we seek and pray for God's divine intervention and seek His mercies every morning. May our marriages be everything that brings honor to God. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, we just come to you now as a congregation And Lord, our prayer this morning, as we continue our time of worshiping you, our prayer, Lord, is that you will speak to our hearts, stop us in place, and allow us to change, Lord. Please, God, we need your help. Please change us. Make our marriages what you want them to be. We ask for your help. We thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.